The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. November 12th, 2023, A Journey to Conquering the Idols of the Heart, Part 1. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for the time that you've carved out of each of our schedules to be here, Lord, and we just trust that we're right where we need to be, Father, and we thank you for your word, which is so clear to us, how we are to live our lives, Lord, and when we hear others say that they wish life would come with an owner's manual, Father, would you help us to be bold and tell them that there is an owner's manual and we have it and invite them into it, Lord. And today I just pray, Father, that you would... Just extend an invitation to each one of us, Lord, to dive deeply into your word as we ask you to dive deeply into our hearts, Lord, and root out the things that are there that ought not to be. Lord, idolatry is something that is not exclusive to the Old Testament. It's not even exclusive to the believers in the New Testament, Lord, that it is present in our lives today. Father, I just pray that you would um, use your Holy Spirit to speak the words that you would have spoken today. Lord, I pray that you would be with each one here as we examine our own hearts and that we would um, not just feel the conviction of the Spirit as you intend to give us, Lord, but that we would also feel the encouragement and know the hope that we have in you to root out all of these idols that lie deep within our hearts, Lord. And um, I just pray that there would be encouragement to come right alongside the conviction as we begin talking about this topic today, Lord. It is heavy in your word, and it ought to be heavy on our hearts. And so I pray, Father, that as we dig into your word, you would lighten the burden in our hearts, that you would help us to take on your yoke, which is light, and just leave all of the ick that lives within our hearts at the feet of the cross, and um, that we would surrender, Lord, not only unto salvation, Lord, but to your lordship over our lives, and that we would step away with the joy and the delight that you intend us to have each and every day. It's in your gracious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are tackling it this morning, ladies. We are starting part one of a talk called A Journey to Conquering the Idols of the Heart, which started out as Conquering the Idols of the Heart and changed as I studied through it and went, wait, we're not going to tackle this. I can't get that, give that impression that we'll be done when we're done with this series, but we will be on the journey. Um, we've actually been camped out upstairs in Exodus 20 for quite some time looking at the Ten Commandments. Um, I'm just going to review Exodus 20 verses 3 through 6 to start the morning, which say, You shall have no other gods before or besides me. You shall not make for yourself a, a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the, gener- on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So last week we talked in depth even about the sin of coveting upstairs, Pastor Phil dug pretty deeply into that. So today we're going to be talking about what modern-day idolatry looks like. 
um, not only so we can recognize it, but it's different. It's a little bit different, but it's also a little bit the same as we have in the New Testament. I wouldn't be, I mean, I would be very surprised if, you know, in visiting anyone's houses, we found carved images and altars, especially of the ladies in this room. You come here early to learn how to live more like Christ, um, but these images live in our hearts. We erect these things in our hearts that we strive after, and we're going to look at um, either today, more likely tomorrow, a list of things that we need to be examining to see, like, where are the art idols in our own lives. Um, and I would encourage any of you who feel that you have the gift of teaching, come talk to me, because I would love to have you teach, um, but be warned. <laughs> when you teach, um, you will be greatly encouraged, but you will also be greatly convicted. And so the Lord is definitely at work in my heart right now um, in helping me to root out some of those idols. So we see lots of literal carved images in the Old Testament. And even if we fast forward to the New Testament, there are many cautions against idol worship of the gods of the culture, right? Like if you think about um, the church at Ephesus, for example, was the home of the Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So a great focus of our world on things like that. Um, but it was also a center of comet, commerce because of its location on the Aegean Sea. Um, the people that there valued education very highly. They valued politics very highly. Um, and so if you think about those things, their focus on commerce or materialism, their focus on education, their focus on politics, their focus on religion, it starts to sound not that dissimilar from our own world, our own culture, and the things that we can so easily get pulled away from the word in. The church established there was, a, was the recipient, as you all know, of one of Paul's letters of encouragement and admonition. It was also the recipient of Timothy, who Paul left behind, and he talked about some of the things they were um, dealing with, with some false teaching that had kept in in the first chapter of 1 Timothy. Um, they were also the recipient, some years later, of a letter that John wrote. Would you turn to Revelation chapter 2 with me for a moment? I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 if you want to follow along. So Jesus himself gave these words to John. He said, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. What a wonderful commendation. Wouldn't we want to be commended for our patient endurance, right? And our bearing up for Christ's name's sake, and for not growing weary. Then verse 4 changes a little bit. He says, but... I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. 
And so Pastor John MacArthur says of verse 4, I really like this. He says, to be a Christian is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are several verses he references after that. But the Ephesians' passion and fervor for Christ had become cold, mechanical orthodoxy. Their doctrinal and moral purity, their undiminished zeal for the truth, and their disciplined service were no substitute for the love for Christ they had forsaken. So we've talked about this before. We can look really good on the things that we're doing on the outside, but it's the heart that Christ looks on. It's the heart that the Lord wants, and he wants it 100%. So all of these things that he commends the church at Ephesus for, he stops to say, but you've lost your first love. So we can't lose our first love. He talks about, um, MacArthur talks about their doctrinal and moral purity. We want to be doctrinally and morally pure, right? And that's good. His, their zeal for the truth. We ought to be zealous for the truth. And their disciplined service. We ought to serve. We ought to be disciplined to serve. Otherwise, chaos rules and reigns and things don't get done. These aren't bad things, but they can't replace our love. Christ, and it should be the motive for all of those things. Um, so I think that that's a warning that we can hear as well. So um, flip back just a little bit to the book of First John, um, and if I ask you what comes to mind as you think about First John, what words come to mind as themes of that book? If love. anyone, love. Okay, good. Love. But if you say you love me but hate your brother, okay, you're a liar. Okay. Yes. Anything else? I think about obedience when I think about the first John, about the book of First John. Um, and it's not a bad thing to want to obey, but let's listen to chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, which says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, There are some really fundamental themes of this book that are very valuable for us to revisit. Um, He wants our thinking to be aligned with his word. He wants our thinking to be aligned with Christ. And he ends it right where we're headed. Verse 21 says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So what he's talking about here in the context is this worldly philosophy of the day that many false teachers were promoting. And he wants to warn them and us to stay away from those false doctrines, false worldly philosophies. Um, our world also is promoting a lot of false doctrine and a lot of worldly philosophy right now that as the modern church we need to stay away from. But the modern church has fallen into an awful lot of it. Um, so I think that, again, it's probably not true of most of us in this room, but it could be true of those that were coming alongside in the world, well, for sure in the world of the world, but also those who might have... Um, different perspectives being taught at other churches about like that blend between you know loving the world so much that we end up being of the world and that's not a good thing um we do want to love people but we don't want to love those worldly philosophies and the things that are being promoted
So it is best to keep ourselves from idols in the first place. As he says, keep yourselves from idols. Unfortunately, most of us are probably already have some already rooted pretty deeply in our hearts. So we have to go after them. And in order to do this, we have to be able to accurately identify what they are in our lives. Um, across most of the things that I've read, this is a topic that over and over I read, like, these are our blind spots. So if you ever have someone come alongside you and say, have you ever considered, listen, because we have blind spots. I have them, and I can almost guarantee most of you have them. Um, so we need to be in fellowship with one another. We need to be listening to our sisters who come to us in love. Um, over and over in this class, we've said, if someone comes to you with something, remember that as hard as it is for you to hear that thing, it was probably 50 times harder for your friend to muster up the boldness and the courage because she loves you to come and tell you that really hard thing. So be careful to consider it. In fact, I think you said when you were teaching, you've learned to say, like, I'm going to consider that as a way of thinking about the things that we're hearing, and we need to do that. We need to slow down because they're not always accurate. You said that as well, but sometimes they are, so we, we need to examine those things. Um, so it is a, a double-edged sword, idolatry. Um, I will tell you the bad news is we got to root them out and get rid of them. The good news is I did hear a pastor say, and I was kind of encouraged by this, um, he's a biblical counselor, and he has people come, and um, I think Jen put the tree on the board, and so we've got all the fruit up here that he calls the presenting concerns, right? These are the problems that people come to the biblical counseling for. They do an intake form, like these are all the things that they write down. These are all the fruits. But what he said was, when you dig deeper and get to the root, oftentimes, four, five, six different fruit, they're all the same root. So when you get to the root problem, if we can get to the root, we can actually obliterate a lot of the fruit all at once. So I was encouraged by that. I hope you are too. So that's what I mean by a double-edged sword. Um, the hard part about reading them out is some of them have been pretty firmly entrenched for a really long time. And I think that they come in slowly and we accept them. Either we got saved as adults and we already had them there and they were things that we didn't root out in the first place. Or they're just things that we've allowed back in or never got rid of in the first place that have just grown. Those are the things we want to be careful with. So um, I'm going to introduce uh, this book and this gentleman to you more in just a moment, but I want to read this because um, it's important that we see like none of us are above or beyond this, and he is he literally wrote the book. It's called Gospel Treason, Betraying the Gospel with Hidden Idols. And um, so I'll just read, I'll give you his words. As a pastor, I found that one of the idols of my heart early in my marriage was, quote, I must be well thought of by the church, end quote. In other words, never say no. Always say, yes, I'll be there. I can do that. I'm your man. Think about it. You think, yes, I can be there. I'll do that. I'm your woman, right? But with my family, my wife and kids, I was always saying we can do what we planned later. We have to change our plans. I know we had a date night scheduled, but we'll do it another time. It'll happen. But it never did. It kept not happening because the demands and expectations of ministry continued to snowball as the church grew. I meant well. I really did intend to have a date night and a family night. It wasn't that I didn't want to be with my wife and family. 
but there was an idol on the throne of my heart that I was completely unaware of. And that idol of, and must be well thought of by the church, was driving me, though unconsciously, while I was convinced that I was doing right and for the glory of God. He was convinced. He was doing the right things. He was doing them for the glory of God. This is a pastor. So just listen. Like, this is so good for us to It was very good for me to hear. I hope it's good for you to hear. But I was deceived, and I was well on my way to destroying a wonderful marriage and home. Not with alcohol or drug addiction, not with pornography, not with golfing or fishing or watching television or sports all the time. Not at all. I was focused on the kingdom, baby. (laughs) So you can imagine the arguments ad nauseum that we had with saying to my wife, quote, Aren't you committed to the church and what God is doing? Oh, dear. (laughs) End quote. But I was ignorant of my idols, and I didn't realize the ugliness of my own heart. So, who said that? Who said, aren't you? He said that to his wife. Okay, yeah. So, um, I... Highly recommend this book. This is actually a recommendation that um, Jen Dwyer had made to me some time ago. And um, it's, it's very good. It's very hard. Um, but it's hard in a really good way. And it will get to your heart if you're paying attention. So this, this is what we were going to talk about. Um, and we'll spend some time overpacking over the next probably uh, two or three weeks. Tara? Yes. I remember, I don't remember who this was, but a very well-known radio pastor mm-hmm. years ago talked about, I used to listen to him. I remember he was really solid, and then he kind of disappeared. And then he came back later on another program and talked about how he had fallen victim to something like this mm-hmm. that the devil got him so busy doing what is good he almost lost his marriage he lost mm-hmm. his ministry and so he was now on the radio proclaiming this as a warning to others because Satan does disguise himself as an angel of light and he so does. all these good things that pastors or others think are right can also lead down that slippery slope yeah. like happened to him I've never forgotten that yeah, and that and reminded me of it. I mean, I'm looking around this room, and I don't think I'm seeing anybody who's not serving in this church. But are we serving first and foremost in our homes? Right. Are, is our, are our heart <coughs> focused first and foremost on loving Christ and serving out of the abundance of that heart? Right. Um, because the devil wants to keep us busy. Sure. And off track. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Busy doesn't equal holiness. It's no. Clear, it's a really splendid line, though, and mm-hmm. the ministry is your life. And mm-hmm. you can't, I don't know, I mean, it's so easy. Like, yeah. I, I can't even describe how easy that is. And that is your job. Yeah. So it's like telling your, your boss, no, I'm not doing that because my family's more important. You don't do that, right? Yeah. On your hours. Yeah. And you know in a a much more unique way than any of the rest of us. Because every one of the rest of us in this room could say, right, we could say we need to take a step back and deal with some things that are happening at home before we can continue in whatever you've asked us to do. We go to your husband and the other three elders and say that. Um, And then they take it on. Right. To fill in all the holes. Yeah. So, So, yeah, it's... I, 
know it's hard for you guys, but like I don't even know. It's a, yeah, it's a whole different level for you, I'm yeah. sure. And you know, and, and I, I feel like we are aware of that yeah. and try to balance it. Yeah. Well, and others of your husbands in the room who are also serving in leadership in this church, there's a balance that they have to strike and that you have to strike as their wives. And so, yeah, I appreciate that. I'm not saying it's easy. Please don't no. hear me saying that. I'm really not. I didn't hear it that. Is, okay, good. It I is. Just, yeah. My head can't even. Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit. But if you see it in us, like, over, we're overdrawn, you know, and not spending time with our family. That's where I want the church to step and say, you guys need to step back a little bit. That's what I would hope. And that's what we all need to do for yeah, each other. Yeah. No matter where we serve in this church, it's what we need to be doing for, for each other, for sure. So that's, I mean, that's the question. Do we recognize idolatry when it's present in our own lives? How do we find what that root issue is? And what do we do about it once we uncover it, right? And that was really what you talked about quite a bit when you talked about anger. Like, you thought it was anger, and it wasn't. It was a whole different root issue that then you went to work on, and that fruit started disappearing. So that's a really good, very practical encouragement to us. Um, and then lastly, how can we do better in the future about keeping ourselves from adding new idols, right? And helping those around us. You know, one of the common idols that we have as moms is our kids because they need so much from us. And that's a legitimate, they need a lot from us, but we can't make them our little gods, right? Anything we put before the Lord, we're making our own functional gods. I've heard that term a lot. Um, so we just have to be really careful about that. So um, just remember Ephesus, right? Remember the things that were there and the things that either continued on or came in. It's that, you know, religious, political, educational, commercial, or I'll say materialism things that we need to be really careful of. Um, things come in slowly and grow at a level we often, we just miss it. And so, yeah, please. I think if we're unwilling to hear, like you mentioned earlier, people coming to you and saying, you know, willing to speak into your life, if there's an area where we're unwilling, because I think about kids, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that that is often an idol of ours, because we, they require so much of us, right? And so I think that it's easy for us to kind of lock in. And so if we are unwilling to hear someone, speak into our lives, then that is also a good indication sometimes that that might be an area of an idol in your life. So I think, why would a mother not want to hear about how she could better help her children, whether it be discipline or whatever it might be? And I think, oh, it's probably because there's an idol there, so there's a lack of humility and an unwillingness to hear what needs to happen. So, not that that person's always correct, but uh, examining of what could be. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't just happen with childhood. Just talking about anything, really. Anything. Anything. Across yeah. the board. If we're unwilling to hear. Yeah. Well, if we don't have a teachable spirit, that's clearly a lack of humility. Right. Mm-hmm. And humility is what clothes everything for us to display all the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. And without you, and that's really a big problem in the church. Mm-hmm. You know? In that way, I see the church very similar to the world in that we often build up those that are visible, Mm -hmm. you know, in some of their uh, gifts 
that they do. And then we, you know, um, kind of, we don't say it, but kind of look down on those that maybe have a different role to play mm -hmm. within the body. And yet they're all equally important. They just serve different functions. Yeah. And that's, that, you know, we do that in the church. Yeah. We do that. You both mentioned having a teachable heart, and I heard one biblical counselor talking about how, you know, these presenting issues that they come in with, oftentimes as he gets down to the root, not having a teachable heart is one of the biggest mm -hmm. things that he finds, and it changes the whole focus of the counseling, yeah. because you have to tackle that first. Like John Rucker used to always say, humility is the doorway to change, right? Is that what he used to say? Yeah. Um, and it's true. Like, if we're not willing to hear when someone comes alongside... Which is a whole other issue. Do I know I'm unwilling to hear? So that really does require the Lord and um, to intervene in our hearts. And we do need that. We really do. Well, and sometimes that unwillingness to hear can come out of shame or embarrassment and fear, too, of what, sure. kind of like what this pastor said, of I have to be thought well of. And so sometimes it can come out of that as well. Which are idols, though, too. Like, yes. scared man. And exactly. So. So really examining, like, wait, if I'm not willing to hear this, what is going on in my own heart that needs to be rooted out? Um, what about right. worshiping above God? Because if we're worshiping him, then we're not worried about what this person is saying. We're wanting right. to examine it so we could be corrected. And if we're the ones coming alongside and we feel like there's these walls of, like, nope, that's not going on, that's not it, mm -hmm. it's a good question just to say, are you at least willing to consider that? Mm -hmm. Um because hopefully those words would be received with like, oh, maybe I'm not willing to consider that. Um, and at the end of the day, it is the Lord's job to do that work. It's our job to speak truth in love and allow the Lord to do the work he's going to do. Um, so back to, I will introduce you now to Brad Bigney. He is a biblical counselor and um, he really did write this book based on his own experience with identifying idolatry in his own life, um, which really had greatly affected his marriage. And he didn't realize it until his wife, he and his wife ended up in biblical counseling, and this concept of idolatry was brought to both of their attention. Um, and so you can kind of hear the theme in his title, Many of These Are Hidden. So gospel treason, betraying the gospel with hidden idols. And um, in the first part of this book, he talks about it starting with a gospel drift. And it just reminded me of that verse in Hebrews that said we need that anchor for our soul, right? Like if we're anchored, we're not going to drift. Um, and so we'll talk more about some of those anchor points um, probably next week. Um, but we need to have those anchor points that bring us back, that pull us back, that are our defaults rather than these idols that end up being our defaults. Um, so he calls the process of rooting out um, these idols. Uh, he calls it finding the sin behind the sin. Um, I kind of alluded to that with, you know, there can be a lot of fruit issues that we're seeing, but it really boils down to, like, this one root issue that is, that is at the heart of it, like this one culprit, if you will. So he says, um, I kind of already touched on that. So, um, again, he says he finds lots of issues people come in with, but oftentimes it's one thing. So instead of trying to do battle with all of these different fruits in our lives, are we willing to do the work to go deeper and uncover the hidden root? And that might not be something that we can do on our own. And I think that it is a great show of humility to go to someone and say, can you help me figure out what's going on? Because there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this. Um, and there are many in this church who are qualified to help us sit and do those things. 
So remember what Christ himself told the Ephesian church through John in Revelation. He said, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the one you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen, repent. So that's kind of a hint of where we're going. Repentance lay ahead, ladies. Um, Once we find them, we really do have to repent and put these idols to death, these things that are controlling our flesh. So let's back up for a minute and define what we're talking about. What do you ladies think idolatry is? What would you say is the definition of idolatry? Anything above God. Anything above, anything you put above God? Okay. They can be good things. Okay. Of themselves. Yeah. Right? That's that's true. Can you think of a couple of examples of what would be good that we would put above God that is bad? (laughs) Um, Well, you know, the example he used as a pastor trying to help the congregation and doing all these good things and saying yes, Mm -hmm. feeling like he needs to do them. They're good things, but why is he doing them? The motivation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The root. But the things he was doing were probably good. Yeah. And you referenced a great quote about... Luther. Yeah. When a good thing... Becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a wicked thing. Yeah. Which is Mm -hmm. a great definition Mm -hmm. for idolatry. Even when a good thing, when it becomes the ultimate thing, thing. it it is a wicked thing. Um, So I'll give you a couple of other examples or definitions. Um, Brad Bigney in his book says um, that our sin can be traced back to our idols every time. It's a big statement, so maybe just examine your own heart, see if that's true of you. Idolatry, this is a direct quote from his book, idolatry is at the center stage of my heart and your heart because idolatry is no more than a metaphor for human craving, yearning, and greedy demands. That reminds me of John, or I'm sorry, James chapter 4 when he says, why are there fights and quarrels amongst you? Why? Because we want what we want, right? When we want it. When we want it and how we want it. Yeah, Yeah, we make all these demands. I just think um, about home, homeschool. That's where I'm at right now. That's yes. where it goes. I mean, and many of you can relate. But I just think of these beautiful ideas that we get from Pinterest or where, wherever in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. And these lovely, lofty ideas of what we want to accomplish, you know, that can become our idols. And so oftentimes we get angry with our children because they're ruining our idea of what morning time should look like or what this perfect craft that I spent a lot of time preparing for you and now you are throwing a tantrum because I'm asking you to do it. Whatever it might be. Yeah. Not that that ever happens. But yeah. <laughs> those become idols, right? Because we, and that's why we become angry because they're becoming ruiners of our agenda. So. Yes. This may be controversial. Pinterest is dangerous. It, is. it really is, right? Just like, you know, Facebook who yes. posts their worst day? Exactly. Everybody's posting their best day. So right. if you're going to go on to social media, just manage your expectations and know this is the best day they ever had. Um, and we can, you know, have yeah. a little more self-control. The good news is years ahead are coming where, like, you don't even think about Pinterest because you're just on the curriculum sites so trying to figure there. out yeah. how to teach the site. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe that's just um, John Piper says, sin is what we do. You guys have all heard John Piper say we are most... Um, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied. we are most satisfied in him. So here's another quote. He says, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied in God. So if he says God is most glorified when we're satisfied, this means God is definitely not glorified because we're not satisfied. And that is sin. Um, David Paulison, who is also a biblical counselor, um, wrote an article actually in 1995, which was revised two more times 
um, in his lifetime. He is with the Lord now, but it was called Idols of the Heart and Vanity Fair. Um, and if you just think about Vanity Fair, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, like think about the description of that place, right? Um, he says, quote, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures, end quote. But he brings it in his article to a level of a lordship question. So it's, we're not talking about Jesus is our savior, right? I think that's settled in all of our lives. The question is, is he the Lord? And Pallison says, has something, quote, has something or someone besides Jesus the Christ taken title to your heart's trust? Archive that word for a minute. Trust. Preoccupation. Loyalty. Service. Fear. And delight. It is a question bearing on the immediate motivation for one's behavior, thought, and feelings. I remember years ago when I taught a um, VBS to the littles, you know, the little K1s who are so adorable, and you have to put, like, hand motions with everything for them to remember it. And I, um, I remember Kirsten Westland and I did it, and we taught them that sin was anything we do in thought, word, or deed. And, you know, that just, it sticks because things that we do with hand motions stick for us, too. But it's true. Like, we think about bad behavior being sin, but we don't often call ourselves out at the thought level. Um, I had just an amazing opportunity to do this last week. I was very grumbly about something. And in my grumbling, the Lord reminded me, but I gave you this so you could do that. I provided that so that it was about, like, doing a lot of driving back and forth. And, but he gave me the ability to actually drive back and forth. And all the things that he had given me, I'm like, oh, man, I am so ungrateful for all of the blessings because my thinking is totally sinful, totally wrong, totally selfish because I was just focused on all the wrong things. And it was, I, it was so sweet of him to convict me so quickly. Um, but it was good. It caused repentance, which is where we need to go much more quickly. So we have to ask ourselves, um, again, a Paulison quote, what am I prizing, desiring, loving more than Jesus, end quote. And whatever it is, that really is our functional God. So it can be a sinful thing like too much dessert. I said too much. Dessert's not sinful. Too much dessert, right? We're boring on gluttony there. Um, It can be a good thing like I want to have a marriage that honors the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. But my husband keeps getting in my way of having a marriage that honors the Lord, right? Tell me that's not a sinful thought, right? But what do we do when our marriage is in trouble? Our default, okay, maybe my default only, is to look at what the other person is or isn't doing. That I want or don't want them to be doing. When the reality is, like, our husbands are hard workers. They're providers. We need to be thankful for them. And he's busy doing lots of things. Be thankful that he's able-bodied to be busy doing lots of things and stop thinking about the things I want him doing instead. It's sin. It's my sin. So I have to own it. And when my mouth speaks it, it's coming out of a heart that's been hanging on to it. Ask me how I know. It's happened very recently, so the Lord is at work. Well, and we can even use scripture to justify that. Of course we as can. We're very as, good Bible-believing Christians. As a baby Christian, my husband and I were not believers when we got married. So God saved me a year into my marriage. And as I began to get a book and, you know, start, what does a Christian marriage look like? And I saw these issues that were happening 
my brain went to, well, it says husbands are supposed to love your wives as Christ loved the church. I can't submit to him until he does that. That was the lie that yeah. was going through my brain. So that's yeah. just one example. Yeah. And we have to be careful what marriage books we're reading, too. Mm-hmm. And if we're very young in the faith or we know someone who's very young in the faith, be careful when you see these books on their shelves and make sure that they know what the Word of God says first and, and foremost. I didn't get that from yeah. the book. I got it from my own yeah. mind looking, yeah. oh, well, this is conditional. <laughs> but yeah. I was wrong. Yeah. There was a um, – Stuart Scott has written, like, just some short books, and there was one – that I didn't have, and I actually asked Jen if she had it, and she's like, oh, Graham said it's just an excerpt from his book, The Exemplary Husband. I'm like, oh, great, my husband has that. So I asked him for it. As I asked him for it, I'm like, don't read the rest of it. Don't read the rest of it. Because I need to reread The Excellent Wife if I'm tempted to read The Exemplary Husband, right? Focus on me. Look in the mirror. Read yeah. Proverbs 31 if you need a short take. Yeah. But it's, it's true, but it's often not my own default. It's sometimes my default to look at, you know, if... It's those if-then statements. Recognize those in your own thinking if you're making if-then statements. If my husband would, then I could. If my children would, then I could. If my friend would just, then I could. None of those if-thens are in Scripture, right? There's one. If you love me, then obey my commands, right? And our command is to respect our husbands and the position that God's given them in our households. Our job is to love our children no matter what they're doing. We are to teach and train them, but the scripture says we're not to provoke them. It doesn't address them provoking us because that should be a given, right? It should be a given that as the adult and as the more mature believer, I'm not going to allow my children to provoke me. Sometimes I wish it had been more explicit because I might have caught it sooner. But nonetheless, I finally got it. Um, Jeremiah 17, if you want to turn there. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord. There's a contrast here, so listen to it. Thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Here's the contrast. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And he repeats it, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his deeds. So remember this concept of the fruit of his deeds. This isn't works. This is the condition of our hearts. This is not a works-based passage. This is our thoughts, our words, our deeds. These are all an overflow out of the heart. This is about the heart. This is about a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And what's the result? We don't fear when the heat comes, right? When the pressure comes and we feel the pressure, we don't fear. We trust the Lord. 
when the anxiety comes in in the year of drought, in other words, look at the economy, right? Inflation is at an all-time high. Insurance rates are up. Everything is up. We're not anxious in the year of drought. We trust the Lord is going to provide. So we have to examine our own hearts and our own minds. What's happening when the heat comes? What's happening when the drought is ahead? What's my response to that? Is my response to trust in the Lord? Because that's where we ought to be. So sometimes the answers to those questions, what do I do when the heat comes? What do I turn to when the drought is at hand? The answers to those questions could be searching out some of those idols that might be in your heart. David Pallison says in that same article, quote, the inwardness of motivation is captured by the inordinate and proud desires of the flesh. That comes from 1 John 2.16. He says our inertial self-centeredness. So for those of you who don't remember high school science, inertia is a resistance to change, right? An object in motion stays in motion. An object at rest stays at rest until it's acted on, right? That's inertia. Our inertial self-centeredness. That's where we want to rest. We want to rest in our own hearts. We want to rest in being the sovereign of our own lives, right? I think you've mentioned that before. Um, The wants, hopes, fears, expectations. He puts in quotations, needs that crowd our hearts. The externality of motivation is captured by the world. All that invites, models, reinforces, and conditions us into such inertia, teaching us lies. The demonological dimension of motivation is the devil's behavior determining lordship, think of these, standing as a ruler over his kingdom of flesh and world. In contrast, he says, to keep yourself from idols is to live with a whole heart of faith in Jesus. It is to be controlled by all that lies behind the address, beloved children. He says, see, especially 1 John 3, 1 through 3, 4 through 7, and all the way through 5, 12. How many times are we called beloved in the scriptures, right? There's meaning there. We need to listen to that. Back to his quote, the alternative to Jesus, the swarm of alternatives, because there are many, right? Whether approached through the lens of flesh, the world, or the evil one is idolatry. It's all idolatry, he says. So um, he's a very eloquent writer. One more I will uh, give you in an article called um, The Danger of Inordinate Desires. Inordinate desires are just what the Puritans called idolatry. So it's the same thing. Um, Shannon K. McCoy wrote an article on biblical, the biblicalcounselingcoalition.org, and that was its title, 2019. She says, God gives us the ability to desire so that he can be the object of our desires. He wants us to desire him with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Luke 10, 27. Desire is a strong feeling, longing, craving, wanting, or yearning, either good or evil, that drives us to seek fulfillment or possession of something. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who enables us to desire God. But we still struggle against the desires of our unredeemed sin nature. So, 
we have a journey ahead, and this is where we start really understanding what idolatry is and rooting it out in our own lives. Um, so there are some very good heart-probing questions in a study guide that he has on his website. I think it's just bradbigney.org, um, but I can bring that next week. And he's got some heart-probing questions, and then he's got a checklist of some modern idols that we can think about. So here's, here's your checklist when you're identifying personal idols, as I hope you spend some time looking at over this week. Um, am I willing to sin to get this? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose this? Do I turn to this as a refuge and comfort instead of going to God? And then you've got a whole other list of questions um, that we'll get to as we keep studying. But first, I want to read a few of these questions that he's got. It's actually, he says, place a check next to the items or issues that you think might be current or potential idols in your life. It's not a short list. There are a lot. Um, Performance, especially for significant others. You try to please in order to get or keep acceptance and approval, um, possibly for your parents, possibly for your spouse. When you seek to please a person rather than God, this is idolatry. If this is the case, then you are worshiping that person rather than God. Being fearful of what others think rather than obeying God is a problem. So if that's one that you would put a check, check next to, There's a book called When People Are Big and God is Little. I might have the title backwards, When God is Big and People Are Small. Anybody remember Ed Welch's book, the title? One of the two. You Google it, either way, it'll come up. Um, But that might be a good one to read. Probably When People Are Big and God is Small. Is that not what I said? Did I say it backwards? I don't know. I think that's right, though. Okay. When People Are Big. Okay. So it's first. I think so. Okay. Um, either way, it's like out of out of accurate view, right? So, um, okay, checkbox number. That was just the first checkbox. Checkbox number two: performance of self or perfectionism. You try to perform to standards that you have set. Becoming a Pharisee is a danger here. When you meet the standard, you feel good. When you don't, you feel bad. You have made a personal list for yourself to follow that is higher than what God says. Number three: performance of others. You make a list of what others should do. For example, for my spouse to be a good husband or wife, he or she must blank. If your spouse doesn't do these things, you become judgmental and unloving. Good health. This shouldn't be your goal, except to glorify God. It's okay to pray for healing, but getting healed should not become an idol. God may want you to be sick in order to glorify him. He says, see John 9. I say, see anything Johnny Erickson Tata ever wrote. (laughs) Love of money. You take a promotion just to get more money. Or push your husband to take a promotion just to get more money when it may not be the best thing for him. Right? We sometimes push our husbands into these jobs and then we complain because their work family balance is all out of whack when maybe we're the ones that ask them to take that job. Um, Success. What's a good day to you? What made it a good day in your mind? Usually it's along these lines. I got a lot accomplished or I got a lot done. Or I pleased significant others. Or I got my way. Others did for me what I wanted them to do. Homeschooling. (laughs) Fairness. Life has to be fair. See Psalm 73. 
Psalm 73, 2 says, I've been trying to please God. <clears throat> Others aren't even trying, yet they prosper. This can cause you to almost forsake the faith. So we have to be really careful of that. A hurt-free or pain-free life. I don't want to deal with problems. There shouldn't be any difficulties. I shouldn't have to go through anything unsettling because I just want peace. Who doesn't want peace? That's a good thing, right? But we can't make it an ultimate thing. A Christian marriage and home. I want people to look at our marriage and think we have the best marriage in the world. Or, I cannot serve God and have joy until my spouse changes and starts doing fill in the blank. Or, I'll be successful if my children turn out right. And the rest is just a list. Physical appearance, being respected and admired, being self-sufficient or independent, material things, a car, house, jewelry, anything material, athletic abilities or achievements, hobbies, sports, reading, etc. An ideal, for example, uh, pro-life movement, peace movement, political party, success, position, or power, worldly pleasures. Examples he gives are food, alcohol, drugs, sex, being in control, meeting goals or achievements, a child or children, whether having them in the first place or having more or not having them or having them do what you want them to do, getting married, having your quote-unquote needs met, um, and then he just leaves the box for other. Don't forget your work from chapter one. He gives assignments in this study guide. It's a free download, this study guide, and it is very good. Um, like I said, it is very hard. I think it's bradbigney.org, um, but I will, I'll bring it next week and write it on the board. Um, but you can, yeah, you can download a study guide to his whole book. His whole book. Um, it is very Bible-centered, um, and I, I think it's really very good. And he asks you some questions to do some homework before you read the chapter. He asks you to do some homework after you read the chapter. And then he even gives you some assignments for prayer, one of which I will give you today in just a moment. Um, so this is a really prickly topic. Or at least it's been very prickly for me, but good, so good. Um, it is a painful process to get to the heart and turn the mirror completely on yourself, but I do want to offer you some encouragement. He writes at the end of chapter 1, which is called Idolatry Starts with Gospel Drift. This is what he says. When you're craving something other than God, even something good, God takes it very seriously. In that moment, he's coming after you. He's coming after you for his glory and for your own good because life is simply better without idols. Life for us is better when we're delighting in the gospel and loving Christ as our highest treasure. Life for us is better when we're focused on God and free from idols. And I wrote in the margin, joy and delight return. <laughs> they do. They do begin to return. Sometimes it's a long process, but joy and delight are there for us. That is what God wants for us, right? I loved in that article when she said, like, God created us to desire because he wants us to desire him. He wants us to chase after him. He wants to be not only my Savior, but the Lord of my life. He wants to have the final say in the things that I think, say, and do. So I need to be in full and complete submission to him. Um, and that is a good thing. So 
Tara, it's Fred. Yep. It's FredBigney.com. Dot com. FredBigney.com. Thank you. Now I don't have to bring it next week, but I will. Um, so here's, here's his homework. Um, turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 139, and if you have something to earmark it, do so, because I'd like you to revisit it uh, this week, specifically um, verses 23 and 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. So just listen to the pronouns. Me, my, me, my, me, me. Six times. This isn't about anybody else. This is about you. This is about me. This is about my heart. This is about the Lord saying, this is what I want to do for you, Tara. This is what I want to do for you. I want to search your heart. I want to show you the grievous ways that are in your heart. I want to uproot these idols, and I want you to do the hard work of casting them out. But it's not that easy, right? We've talked about the model. Put off, renew our minds, put on. And so we'll talk more about that next week, about how do we get to the very deep root of these idols, learn to uproot them, cast them out, but not stop there, but actually replace, or as one author calls it, displace those idols, right? There's this great image of um, a beaker, right? that is full of air, and it's taken before a science class. And the professor says, you can use any tool in the room you want. You must displace all the air in the beaker. And they think, and they look, and they think, and they look, and there's only one way to do it. They have to fill it with water. That's the only way to displace all the air that was in the beaker, is to fill it completely with water, and you displace the air. So we have to fill ourselves with something completely different than the idol that's currently in our heart. And so we will talk about how to do that. Find your verses and ask the Lord to remind you of those truths in very hard moments. If you want a short one, pick John 3.30. He must increase, I must decrease. That's a really simple one that you can say in any moment of any day. Lord, you must increase, I must decrease. And figure out what that looks like for you in that moment. A little lengthier one that's excellent is Galatians 2.20 which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So at a minimum, please reread Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Make that the subject of your prayer. Personalize it and just keep asking him over and over and over. Search me, know my heart, find what's there that ought not to be there, and then help me figure out what to displace it with. Um, I think that's a prayer that God would be very pleased to hear and answer. So um, pray boldly, knowing that it is a prayer that he wants to answer. He doesn't want us to be hanging on to idols in our heart. He wants them out, and he wants our lives to be a light in the world. And we're not a light in the world when our joy and our delight in the Lord has disappeared. And that's the result of hanging on to these idols sometimes. Um, So let's pray. Let's pray that verse as we wrap up today. Lord, would you please search our hearts? 
each one here. You already know everything that lies within them, Lord, and so I just pray that you would be doing an awakening in our own thinking to what's happening in our hearts, Lord. Help us to pay more attention to our own thoughts, our own words, and our own deeds, understanding that it is out of the overflow of the heart that all of these things are coming, Lord. And would you be kind and generous and gracious to us to reveal these ugly things deep in our hearts, Lord, and replace them with a desire for you, for you to truly be Lord in our life, Lord, so that you can also, as this verse says, lead each one of us in the way everlasting. Lord, we just commit this day and we ask that you would continue to open our hearts as we go upstairs and hear the teaching that you have prepared for us, Lord. Would you be with the pastor and and just help as your Holy Spirit leads and guides his words, be in our worship and help the words of each hymn that we sing begin to root out any idols that might be hiding deep within our hearts, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for this time and the work that you will be doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.